Good morning, everyone. My name is Beth Guckenberger, and it's my joy to be here with you on this Thanksgiving Eve. I just want to thank you for sharing uh, your testimony and for this church, for all that they do all around the world. I just got back from two weeks in Mexico, and I could see North Star fingerprints all over that country, places, people that you've touched, places that you've invested in, um, just exactly like Cody was saying in the announcements. This is a church who has determined to build a kingdom other than their own, to, to spend the resources God has given them to steward, to advance the gospel in other places. They could spend you know, more money and get some cushions on your chairs, but they've decided instead to send them um, over to other places. I was so proud to be part of this community when I saw all the ways in which you all have been involved. So I just wanted to thank you. But I also had this experience that um, is a good introduction to our conversation today. I was, uh, on Thursday night, I was doing a women's event there in Mexico, and it was on top, it was on the rooftop of a, of a 15-story building on the edge of the ocean. And half the reason, it was an outreach event, half the reason people came was for the environment, not necessarily for the program. But it was beautiful, and the sun was setting over the ocean as I had my pink Bible and was sharing Jesus' truths. And then at the end of my time, I shared the gospel. And once I finished my prayer, I, my, my part was done. I sat down, and they were finishing up the program, and there were some prayer teams. And then someone came and passed me a note and said that a woman that was there that night had prayed to receive um, Jesus and was interested in being baptized right away, but the pool in that building was already closed for the night. I'm like, I'm from Ohio. That ocean never closes, right? Like, I mean, like, that's, that's God's water, so, like, we can go out there. So I said to these people I've never met before, I'm like, hey, in, in my church, when we do baptisms, it's not like a solemn event. Like, it is like a rowdy pep rally. And so um, if any of you are open to sticking around, I'm going to go down to the ocean with this woman, and I'm going to baptize her. And I kind of think the more of you that are there to cheer, the better. So we all took the party down, down to the ocean, and I went out there in the water, and we baptized her in the, in the moonlight, and then everybody went back in the building because to them it was cold and windy and all that, but you know, again, not so much for me. So I lingered for a minute there at the water, and there was another woman that was there that stayed behind, and I could tell she was trying to talk to me, and it was dark, so we couldn't really see too much of each other's faces, and I was a stranger to her, so that, it made it easier for her to ask me some questions, and she said, like, a couple of times tonight in your remarks, you used phrases like, like, you heard from God, or God said to you, or you, like, you heard God speak, and she's just like, how, like, how does that happen? How do you know when God actually talks to you? And I I started to say, you know, like he talks to us in lots of ways. He talks to us through worship and he talks to us through wise counsel of somebody and he talks to us, even the rocks cry out in nature. And, and then I was like, and I could see her face was kind of confused. And I said, hey, listen, uh, forget all that. Here's how I know for sure what I hear is from God. I open up my Bible. Like this, this is absolutely his voice. This is what he sounds like. And as you're learning to discern his voice in other areas, start reading your Bible so you know what it is that he says. And this week, I'm concluding this series we've been in for a little while on revival, and all kinds of people have talked to you about the elements of revival, like we need to be humble, and we need to be repentant, and we need to be worshipers, and, and today I'm going to be talking to you about the role of Scripture and our understanding of Scripture in revival, and I just want to say that a reading of Scripture tells me about revival we might think that God only brings revival to faithful people, right? That like we're supposed to like 
cleanse ourselves of all of our sin and get together groups or two or three and not eat all day beforehand and then you know, stand on one foot and say this one song and sing the chorus a bunch of times and then maybe, maybe his spirit will come, right? And, and the word in Hebrew for, for wind is the same as spirit. And so you hear people sometimes in revival language talk about like you can feel the, the, the wind or the breath of God. But I wanna be really clear that yes, God does come and bring revival to the faithful. And we've had some historic examples this series and we, we all might know of some examples of that. But I also wanna be super clear that God brings and loves to bring revival to the rebellious. That he, his, he, you see all throughout scripture that he loves to use words like reconcile and redeem and restore and rescue and return and repair and revive. His heart is for the faithful, but his heart is, is also for the rebellious. So he doesn't even want one of us to be lost, it says in the Bible, right? Examples of the shepherd who left the 99 for the one. We've been studying through this series, the minor prophets. Today I'll conclude with the prophet of Hosea. And all the minor prophets, they, they pretty much follow, actually not just the minor prophets, also the major prophets. Actually, just even the family of God follows a pretty predictable pattern, and I can, I can see it in my own life. This isn't just something I read about something that happened a long time ago. But in the book of Hosea, we see, again, like all of them, God's kids do the right thing. And then they begin to believe that they got themselves there. And they begin to allow compromise. And they, they just, they get a little appetite for sin. And then they, they start doing the wrong things and they stop listening to that voice of God. They stop reading their scripture. They stop heeding his warnings and his commands. And God uses a prophet to get their attention. And that prophet begins to rebuke them and, re and cry out for them to return and so they could be restored and redeemed and tells them about a God who wants to rescue them. But they don't want rescued. They kind of like their other gods. They kind of like the appetite they've now developed for sin. And so you see the squirming and the conflict that happens when God's kids aren't sure if they want to do the right thing or not. And then finally, a remnant, the Bible calls it, people who respond to that, restrict, that, that instruction, that rebuke, say, you know, forgive me. You were right. I was wrong. I, I went here. I should have gone there. I sat down, I should have stood up. Like, I, I hear you now loud and clear. I'm responding to you. Yes, revive me, revive me. And that group of people that respond, the Bible calls a remnant, and he rebuilds then with the remnant. Those who don't respond are called the rebellious, and he loves them, and he continues to call for them, but they don't experience the fellowship and the joy. And I can, I can think about that. Think about that middle section, like right thing, wrong thing, discomfort. And in that squirming season, which again I can identify with just as much as I can read about it in them, when I know I'm doing something I shouldn't, thinking something I'm shouldn't, saying something I'm shouldn't, and I'm kind of like, I, I, I want to know, like, oh God, I can feel that you are, like, like I have walked from you. Where is your favor? Like, where is your fellowship? and the outpouring back on me, his outpouring on any country or people or person on a dry and broken and weary soul is what we call revival. And sometimes when we hear people cry out for revival, I feel like I've been hearing it increasingly in this country. People are asking God to come, to come and bring his spirit to this dry and broken and weary land to come and do what only God can do. We hear people invite God, come, will you come, Jesus, come. And it reminds me always of this moment I had. I was speaking in Atlanta, 
and I was backstage and somebody was out on the stage introducing me, like reading my bio, my best from Cincinnati and she has 100 kids and you know, all that. And I was back there and I could feel the expectations in the room were high. And so I was back there like, oh God, please just come. Like, just come and bring your spirit. Would you just come, please, Jesus, come and do your thing. Like, Jesus, will you come? And I promise you in the middle of that prayer, I heard the Lord say to me, mm, actually, I've already been in Atlanta for a really long time. Like, I don't have to come. <laughs> how about you come? <laughs> and so that's now how I pray and now how I believe revival starts, not a request that God comes. I don't have to talk him into revival. There's no like magic dial that we, that we, that we turn things to so that then he feels satisfied with us and comes. The revival starts with a, with a presentation of my heart to his. I'm here, I'm coming, I'm here. Do what you want with me. Like, um, you can have my mouth, you can have my mind, you can have my hands, you can have my life. I'm here. That's how revival actually starts. And how do we know what his voice sounds like when we call out to him? Like, how do we, how do we know for sure? Again, John chapter one, verse one says that, that familiar verse in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. We've got to get ourselves in the word I know I've taught you this verse before, but I promise every time I teach it, it is an encouragement to me. Joshua chapter one, verse eight says this. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so you can be careful to do everything that's written in it. Then you'll find yourself prosperous and successful. Meditate to me in English, it just sounds like a soft word. Like it conjures up like, I don't know, visions of yoga studios and like, like, like I, I, I meditate. What does that actually do? Like, it makes me think I'm supposed to like think about my Bible quietly in the morning with a cup of coffee. But in 2023, all the decisions we have to make throughout the day, all the options we have, all the, all the temptations that are out there, do I think thinking quietly about my Bible in the morning for a few minutes with my coffee will put enough gas in my tank for the day? Absolutely not. That word meditate, which we translate in English, comes from a Hebrew word, hagah. As I always say, Hebrew words are like doorknobs that take us into new rooms of understanding. Who cares if you remember how to spell the doorknob or say the doorknob? Hagah is an onomatopoeia. It's a word that sounds like what it is. So we hear in English the onomatopoeias of like um, pop or hiss or boom, right? Those words all sound like what they are. Hagah means literally the sound a lion makes when he consumes his prey. So I'm gonna count to three, and by the way, this is not our first crowd participation uh, in, this, in this message, but I'm gonna start by asking you all to say the word Hagah, and I want you to try to make it sound like you're eating something, okay? <laughs> Here we go, one, two, three. Good job. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but consume it like a lion would its prey then you can be careful to do what's written in it and you'll find yourself prosperous and successful. That's a question. If we want revival, what are we consuming? How are we showing up? How are we, how are we coming to God? And we need, we need gas in the tank because of how complicated life is. And uh, David, Pastor David, not King David, uh, Pastor David here, it's always encouraging, um, us on staff to share, um, to share the, the Kairos moments we have, to share the verses that are speaking to us in real time. 
And so one of the verses that has, I've been thinking about, I've been consuming like a lion would its prey in recent days comes out of the book of Jeremiah chapter six, verse 16. It says this, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient path. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you'll find rest for your souls. It's tempting to think to myself like, like, I wonder which way is like comfort, solutions. Like, I wonder which way I can find purpose. I wonder, I wonder if this is gonna give me what I'm looking for, if this is gonna scratch that itch, if this is gonna meet my need. It's, it's tempting to wonder if there's something outside of God's word and his way that might help me in whatever it is I think I might need help in in that moment. But God is calling to us, ask where the good way is. You want rest for your souls? Ask where the good way is. And so you can find it. But it's, it's hard because we have, we have all these half-truths today, right? We have a spiritual enemy who literally calls himself the father of lies. We have something the Bible calls an enemy who masquerades as light. So like when I'm asking at the crossroads, do I go left or right? Which way is the good way? It's really important. I know what God's voice sounds like, so I know which way to choose. We're gonna, um, we're gonna play a little game this morning. And I'm gonna split the congregation in half. So this is one half and you are one half. And I need a team captain from each half to come forward. And if it helps you all to volunteer, you don't have to actually say anything. You're just representing your half of the room. Is there anyone over, hallelujah, come on up. Is there anyone over here who's willing to be a team captain? Do not avert your eye contact in any way. Uh, you know, come on, come on. Thank you so much. Okay, you're gonna grab the two things right there on the floor, the Bible and the crown. We're gonna play a game that I've affectionately called Princess or Paul. So um, I'm gonna read to you 10 phrases. And as a team, as a team, you're gonna tell your team captain whether you think this message was authored by the Apostle Paul in our Bibles, or whether you think this was said once upon a time by a Disney princess, okay? So if your side thinks that it was Paul, then you're gonna tell him, and I'll say final answer, and you'll raise up your Bible. If you think it was a Disney princess, that's what you'll do. We'll see how well we know our Bibles this morning, okay? Here we go, the same instructions for you. Here's the first one. They are detestable, disobedient, and disqualified for any good work. So, you know, tell, tell your people, tell your people. Here we go, final answers, final answers, final, you think Paul, maybe a little higher so we could, well, which one? Do you think it was a princess or you, th you think it was a princess? You think it's Paul? You think it's Paul? Okay, now we got it, we got it. Okay, here we go, the answer is Paul, Titus chapter one, verse 16, good job. We started easy, we started easy, here we go. And if you're keeping track, we're now like one to one. Okay, the only way to get what you want in this world is through hard work. Who do you think said that? Who do you think said that? Vote, vote, princess. Yeah, that was Tiana from Princess and the Frog, okay. It isn't something you have earned, so there's nothing you can brag about. Who do you think said that? Okay, vote, final answer. Don't be distracted by each other. You all look at your teams. Okay, here we go. He sure did. He said that in Ephesians chapter two, verse nine. Let love be your guide. Let love be your guide. You think princess, you think princess. Actually, Paul, Ephesians chapter five, verse two. Okay, remember, you're the one who can fill the world with sunshine. Who said that? Remember, you're the one. Uh -huh. That would be Snow White. Good job, okay. Just because it's what's done doesn't mean it's what should be done. Okay, so sorry, that would be 
Cinderella. <laughs> uh, yes, I am alone, but I am alone and free. Elsa. Elsa. Okay, we must stop. So that does put you all ahead if you're keeping track. Okay. Uh, we must stop acting like children. Paul, Ephesians chapter 4. Okay, you're almost done. Sometimes the right path is not the easiest one. You're right, Pocahontas. Okay, good job. <laughs> and lastly, it's not till you lose everything that you can truly appreciate everything. Final answer, final answer, come on, final answer. That would be Belle from Beauty and the Beast. You all got it. You can put this down. You guys can go to prayer first today when we, when we dismiss. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I know it's a silly game, but honestly, discerning and knowing God's word helps us understand the messages that are coming at us all the time. If we know his voice because we've heard it in scripture, we know literally what he sounds like. Just like you can be at a playground and there can be dozens of children and parents around and one parent goes, hey, it's time to go now. And the kid whose voice that belongs to knows it. They've heard that voice a thousand times. They can hear above any other sound. Or I've told you before about that story um, about in Israel when three shepherds were out with their own flocks doing their own thing and they kind of converged in one spot and they stayed there for 30 minutes talking to each other and their flocks got all mingled together. They separated only with the sound of their voices and everybody's sheep went with the right shepherd. Why? Because those sheep know the sound, the voice of their shepherd. And it's it's... This is how revival starts. We have to be able to recognize if we have chosen something other than the good path and God is calling to us to come back, we gotta hear that voice above all the other voices that are coming at us, all the other things that are trying to tell us where we are to go. And, and this week, we're gonna, <laughs> this is a week about family, right? We're gonna, we're gonna be gathering with our family. We're gonna be talking to our family. We're gonna be talking about our family. We'll be judging them. We'll be feeling kindred with them. We'll be missing people who aren't there. We'll, We'll have all the feels. It'll be a week also when we get a chance to see our sin pretty clearly because maybe our buttons will get pushed, right? Maybe we'll, we'll feel the temptation to perform or our mouth will be tempted to say something that it shouldn't and we'll see the sin that we recognize in ourselves and our parents and we'll see the sin we recognize in ourselves and our children. And it, it, it may actually sound kind of exhausting, but the truth is seeing our sin is a huge gift because the repenting of it is the accelerant to revival, as we've talked about before. As we go through this story in Hosea, we'll see how critical repentance was, that, that response to his word, him saying, this is not the good path, this is not the good path. I've told you, this is not a path that will bring rest for your souls. Their response to that voice and repentance of their actions is what will bring about the revival that they're longing for. Hosea is most known because in that book, uh, God asks the prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute so that he may publicly and relentlessly pursue her, putting on display God's nature for us that he wants to publicly and relentlessly pursue us. Again, not just when we are faithful, but also when we are rebellious. It's 14 chapters long, so we're gonna see the whole thing, right thing, wrong thing, prophet's response to them, their squirming, their decision to either rebel continually or repent. We'll see God rebuild with the end. We'll see the whole pattern. In the early chapters, 
you can hear his love for Israel and his heartbreak over the fact that they have not chosen the good path. And he demonstrates unconditional love as he calls them back to himself. They take a lot of advantage of that unconditional love. And we read in the fourth chapter, this verse, my people consult a wooden idol. A diviner's rod speaks to them. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray. They are unfaithful to God. I was trying to think if God, if a prophet came to the United States, what would they say to us? Like maybe something, I mean, I don't know, you could think that exercise yourself, but I'm like, my people are reading their horoscopes. Their horoscopes. They're, they're listening for human wisdom in their podcasts, right? They're, they're putting their faith in the stock market. They're thinking that the good path is found in something outside of what I've told them where truth is found. And the, por- the important part about metabolizing the heartbreak of God is because we can be too easily, we can believe the wrong thing, the half truth that says like, if we walk on a path other than God's path, instead of wanting to revive us, he's actually just really mad at us. Or he's decided he's willing to move on. Or he doesn't even care what path we're on. Those are all, nothing could be further from the truth. Those are all lies. And reading our Bible helps us to understand the character, nature, and heart of a God who's in pursuit of us no matter where we are. We can hear in Hosea how much he wants them to return we are actually no different. It's so easy to read that book and be like, oh my gosh, these people are crazy. Do they not see what he just did for them? Why are they trusting in Assyria? Why are they trusting in these wooden gods they made with their own hands? But we, we do the same thing, right? I ask God to come through for me, to provide for me in some way. And then I turn around and think I got there all by myself, right? I, I eat my fat and calf and, and, and I get proud of what I have done. We... we We have our own 2023 versions of the wooden idols that God's people were worshiping in the time of Hosea. And honestly, our culture doesn't do us a bunch of favors in this. I'm a very proud American, but we are a fiercely independent country. And so the result of that is that we think in I instead of we. God's story was always designed to be experienced as a we, not as an I. That's what... Jeremiah, he knew that when he was talking to us about the good path and the experience we can have on the good path. On the good path, we can remind one another, this is what is true in case you've forgotten it. And on the good path, I can say, I heard God say this. What are you hearing God say? On the good path, I can have an iron sharpen my iron or Ecclesiastic says, when one of us falls down, the other one can help him up. Like this was always designed to be in a we and Paul, Paul knew this, and when he established the church in the New Testament, he used all kinds of words like, like household and brothers and adoption and body of Christ and bride of Christ. He knew that the church needed to be thinking of themselves as a community. It's just simply easier to stay on the good path as a community. They, they, they walked that path together. They didn't ask each other, like, so which house church are you going to right now? They asked instead the question, who are you walking the path with? Who are you experiencing this is, this is why we read our Bibles for ourselves. So we can continue to have that impressed upon us that we are part of a, a spiritual family. We are part of a community. So we read about chapter four, the heartbreak of them choosing other things. Here we are in chapter six and the call to return has begun from the prophet Hosea. And he said, let us look at all the R words. Let us return to the Lord. He's torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. This is what we're looking for, revival. On the third day, he will restore us so that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. 
Remember, we can't make him revive us. It is in his very nature to do so. You don't have to beg him to come to your dry and weary soul. We don't have to beg him to come do work in this country or in our community. He wants to. This is who he is. He loves us. And by chapter seven, it starts to get really real. So we're halfway now through this story. And he says, Hosea um, speaks the words of God to his people. And he says, I long to redeem them. There's your R word. I long to redeem them. But they speak lies to me. They speak to me falsely. They don't cry out to me from their hearts. They just wail at me from their beds. This is not that much different. Those of you who are married, imagine when you get in a fight with your spouse. When I get in a fight with Todd, initially what upsets me the most is not whatever it is we were fighting about. It's how it feels to be fighting. I don't like that feeling. I don't like that feeling of disconnection. I don't like that feeling unsettled. I don't like the fact that there lacks peace between us. This is where they are in this story. They're now upset by the, they can't feel God's presence. They're not on the good path anymore. They are not experiencing rest for their souls and they don't like it and they're wailing at him from their beds. And God's warning to them through Hosea is, I know what it feels like to not be on the good path and I'm glad you don't like it. But let's talk about what got you there in the first place, which is their unfaithfulness. They're not willing yet to talk about their unfaithfulness. The next chapter says a verse that often gets quoted by people outside of our faith, and I don't know if they totally understand what its meaning is. Verse eight, chapter seven says, they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. When we talk about they sow the wind, which is really like sin, like so, like imagine if you decided not to walk on the good path and you're walking in the bad path, the justification we have, especially any of us who have already become one of God's kids, is we think like, I mean, I'm just gonna do this for a little while. Or if something goes wrong with this choice I'm making over here, I'll just face the consequences myself. I'll just, I'll just be okay. It's only gonna impact me. And we typically sow the wind or make choices outside of God's good path over a long period of time. And then, you know, when it all hits the fan or whatever that expression is, I can't say at church, like when, all, when it all starts to come down, and it's a, it's a whirlwind, we face the consequences over a contracted period of time after we have made compromising choices over a long period of time. That's what, this, that's what this passage means. So this is exactly what happens to them. They had walked away from God over a long period of time, and now it was all coming down. And I just want to say, like, again, this is where reading our Bibles helps align us with what is true. When the whirlwind comes and finds me because I have made choices outside of the good path, it doesn't just find me, it finds me and mine, right? My poor choices, my sinful choices impact my people. They impact my, whoever I'm we with, whoever is in my community. That, that is a lesson that these people are gonna have to learn the hard way. Chapters, and so we don't have to if we want to read that book, and then we can learn from their cautionary tale to just stay on the good path. Chapters 9 and 10, we see them giving their wine to false gods and turning away from God and taking credit for themselves and doing whatever they felt like and experiencing what they thought was freedom, but the truth is it took them even further into captivity. This is what sin does. It makes us think that we're fine to do whatever we think according to our own understanding, right? 2023 phrases sound like, like you do you, right? Just follow your heart, own your own truth. There's no such thing as my own truth. There is either truth, capital T, or there's lie. And following truth is the good path, and anything else is not. There is no rest for my soul from following my own truth. And then we see this key verse in chapter 10 that says, break up your fallow ground. 
seek the Lord. Fallow ground is what had happened over that long period of time when they were sowing into the wind, right? Fallow ground is ground that's unused, uncultivated, laid dormant. That part of your heart you chose to go hard when you were deciding to make a choice outside of the good path and what you had to do into your, to your conscious, to your mind in order for, that to conti- for you to be able to justify that continued behavior. That part of our heart when we stay in sin goes fallow. It's unused. And here is the call from Hosea for them to break up that fallow ground. Allow the Lord to tenderize you again. And I think like, let's just ask ourselves for a minute what our belief system, our own, like answer hypothetically in your own mind, your own belief system. Do you think that God can bring revival to ground that's long been fallow? Is there any person or land or people group that you think can be like literally too far gone. It's another reason for us to read scripture because the answer to that question is no. There is no person, there is no people that he will not continue to pursue. And sometimes I can hear Christians say things and we're about to hear it in a whole election year. Let's just kind of get a witness. People are gonna say things like, this world is getting crazier and crazier, right? Like, I don't even know what to do anymore. I don't even understand our country. I don't even know, like, this is exhausting. And then they throw their hands up and they wanna give up. But almost every time I'm up here, I read to you Isaiah chapter 51, verse one, remember the rock from which you were cut and the quarry from which you were hewn. If you're one of God's kids and our spiritual family teaches us in this book that we don't give up. We don't give up on people and we don't give up on places. We don't give up, we actually double down. We hope, we pursue, we repent, we cry out, we trust. We, think, we might think to ourselves, we don't know what to do. I don't know, even know what to do anymore with them. I don't even know what to do anymore with this. I don't even know what to do. It's actually not that complicated. We walk or return to the good path and there we'll find rest for our souls. The following chapters here as we end are the, are the call, there are the many, many calls. That fallow ground is getting broken up and people are starting to respond and God's kids are hearing the call to return. Finally, in the last chapter, chapter 14, there is reconciliation and now revival. And I'm gonna um, read just a couple of verses here with you from the last chapter. And you'll hear three distinct voices in the beginning of chapter 14. You'll hear the voice of Hosea telling God's kids what to do. And then you'll hear the voice of Israel coming back to the Lord. And then you'll hear the voice of God responding to his kids. So we're gonna just, we're gonna divide. I'm gonna have that little strip right there. You guys are Hosea, so be loud and strong. Let's read what Hosea says to uh, God's kids. Ready? Here we go. We're gonna do it together. Return Israel to the Lord your God. Your sins have made your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Take words with you is another fancy way to say confess with your mouth. Confession, remember, repentance is an accelerant to revival. So you all are the nation of Israel. So you, you've been doing the wrong thing. But you are the remnant that heard what God's saying. Get back on the good path. I have something still for you. So these are the words you're gonna say to the Lord. Forgive all our sins. It says Assyria cannot save us because that's the story they found themselves, but just fill in that blank. What, do, what else do we think can save us besides God? We think our own understanding, 
We think our nest egg can save us. We think modern medicine can save us. We think, what do we think can save us? There's, they are confessing nothing else can save us but God. And he will respond to that kind of hum, humility, that kind of repentance. Okay, this is the most people, so this is the voice of God supposed to sound loud. So here's what God is going to say back to them after they have done that with their mouth. I will... Amen. He's faithful, right? And he'll love us freely. And this, this book holds things like encouragement and instruction and cautionary tales. And it is, frankly, the key to seeing revival in our lives because it's where we know how he sounds when he's calling to us. If you're feeling like you don't know, like, I don't know what he sounds like, and those comments that that woman made to me on the beach resonate with you, then get in the scripture reading plan that this we community is reading. You can jump in at any point if you wanna know how to do that. Someone out there at the Welcome Center will help you understand where we are in that process and how you can join us. If you feel like your walk has been lately more of an I than a we kind of experience, think about joining a pathway group. Think about fellowship with others. Think about any of the ways this community gets together other than just on Sunday mornings. If you're thinking, I need to metabolize more of the truth, I know, I know a lot more Disney than I know scripture. I know a lot more, whatever, sports scores, like whatever, whatever things you have metabolized, you know a lot more about it than you do about scripture. Start with just memorizing a verse. Pick any one, they all have power. Just memorize it. If you're feeling like you don't know how to fit even one more thing into your life, so you're not gonna get up in the morning and meditate on your Bibles with your coffee and you're not joining a pathway group. Maybe one way to incorporate this, this sound of this voice in your life is try the audio Bible. Let it play at you when you're in the car or getting ready or you're exercising. Just get used to hearing what he sounds like. That's, that's, how, we can, that's how we invite revival into our life. Uh, as I close, I just want to share one last story with you. I, um, back to back, the organization I work for is 26 years old. So the story I'm going to tell you happened at our 20th anniversary. So this is six years old, this story. At the 20th anniversary, we just invited a bunch of people to come together who'd been involved in all the ways that back to back had grown so we could celebrate all that God had done. And we were... Uh, I was meeting a lot of people that night or re-meeting people that I had met before. And this woman came up to me and she's like, hey, I don't know if you remember me. I came to Mexico when I was 14. And I was like, well, you've changed, you know. <laughs> and she's like, oh, do you remember one night? I just want to tell you how much it meant to me. You were teaching in the Palapa about this verse, James chapter one. And I said, that sounds like me, you know, like, like take care of widows and orphans in their distress. And he's, she's like, my 14 year old heart made a decision that night I was gonna give my life away, that I was gonna be about something other than me. I was gonna serve the marginalized and the vulnerable. And then she opened up her jacket and hanging on her was this impossibly small baby. She said, my husband and I are now foster parents in Hamilton County and we foster medically fragile infants. She's like, I just wanted you to know that like a decision that I made all those years ago has impacted my life today. And I was like, that was awesome. And I told tons of people that story that night and thought it was so cool that someone at that point in her life could remember what God had told her. And then I saw her a year later. I was speaking out at Athletes in Action and she was there and I remembered her when I saw her. And I said, oh, tell me, like, how many babies have you had this year? 
And she said, oh no, actually she's just still the one I introduced you to that night. In fact, she was with us so long, the county allowed us to put in place an adoption plan. And our plan is to bring her into our family permanently. And I'm an adoptive parent, so I'm like, that's so cool. And I'm, I'm so happy for you. And she said, well, actually, the last couple of weeks, her birth family have taken some of the steps that are necessary that they hadn't all year long. And now the county's changed its mind. They're disrupting the adoption and they're gonna go ahead and put in place a, a reunification plan. And I just said, that's a very complicated story. And it is a very complicated story. And I wasn't going to pretend otherwise. And I said, how are you feeling about all that? And she goes, I was so confused because in the beginning I was thinking to myself, I thought for sure I heard God. I thought he told me to do this. I, like, this is why we're doing this. I thought for sure this is what he said to me. And I was so confused and frustrated and scared and angry. And then she said the most powerful thing she could have possibly said next. She's like, so then I went to my Bible and just said, what are you saying to me? What do you want? This is where we find out what his voice sounds like. In case we're not sure what he was saying before, this is what he sounds like. She's like, as I read my Bible over the course of many days, I realized that God was saying to me that he loves that mama in the same way I love that baby. And, and I realized if that spirit of God lived in me, then maybe I could love that mama in the way that he does. And I didn't really know how to do that. And so in the beginning, I just started to like text her some pictures from the last year, like milestones that she had missed. And I just was telling her like, like this is, this is when this happened and this is what she looked like then. And, and it was she was responding to it and I could feel that my heart was growing. And so then I started to send her this last week or so, like some real time pictures, like this is what she's wearing today. And, and, and this weekend she asked if I was willing to be this baby's godmother, so I guess I'm gonna be in her life for the rest of her life. And I just looked at her and I said, John chapter three, verse 16, God so loves the world. He is such a good so lover that he had a heart for a woman in Hamilton County, so much so that 15 years ago, he, put, he deposited a seed in the heart of a 14-year-old and took care of that seed and watched it grow so that on this day, somebody would respond and demonstrate the love and the gospel in a very tangible way, in a very tender place in the heart of someone who was outside of his family. My gosh, he loves to revive and he wants to use us in it. And I've been saying lately, I think that God changes people over a long period of time instead of circumstances in a short period of time. And sometimes when we pray for revival, we want it to see it now. Can you show it to me now? And in the case of that story and a thousand others I could tell, I think he is busy working on us over a long period of time to have an appetite for the good path, to have a testimony about the good path so that he can use us to tell those who are still outside what it's like to have rest for our souls. Would you pray with me please? Dear Jesus, so grateful that you want us to return, that you care enough to bring your spirit and breath upon us. Lord, it is with the authority I have as a co-heir with you that I ask that you would release an anointing on this community, that they would go out and about their day today and they would experience all that you have for them, that they would have a renewed appetite and hunger to consume your word of God, your word, your truth, your voice, that our thinking and lives may align to you and that we may experience all that you still have for us on the good path. 
Lord Jesus, I pray all these things in the holy and precious and resurrected name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Beth. I was thinking about all of the R words that Beth was talking about throughout the point of her talk here today. We have words like rest and reconciliation and redemption and repentance, um, ref maybe reformation, the reforming of our current state into something better into what God wants for us. And then I thought about in all of those things that God is offering to us in the form of an invitation, there's our part to play in that as well. And it's another R word. It's our response to that invitation. In fact, that's really what faith is as you boil it down, is it is us in response to God's divine persuasion as an invitation into the life that he has for us. So we start maybe with our health and we don't know what to do and God says, hey, I'm, I'm the Lord that heals you. Would you trust me in that? And you, oh, okay, we give it to God and he surprises us with his faithfulness. And then he asks something else. What about your relationship? Can you trust me with that? And we give our relationships or our families to him and he does wonders with it. And little by little, we begin to hand over pieces of our life, even down to our eternal salvation and the state of our soul into the hands of a God who's capable and faithful to do what he said he would do. But it's our response. And one of the things that I love about North Stars, our family's been here for a number of years now, is every service we make space, every celebration we make space here to respond in various ways. And we're going to invite everybody to take a moment of response here together as well. And maybe one of those ways is just to worship God as the worship team leads us in a song and you just want to stand or sit where you are and reflect, another R word, on what God has done in your life and maybe return that back to Him in thanks. Maybe uh, the next step in response is to participate in communion, and we have it on either side of the platform here, including in stations in the back as well. And it's an opportunity for us to remember, another R word, what Christ has done for us as he sacrificed himself through death and resurrection, and the cracker representing his body broken for us that we may be whole, and the juice representing the blood that spilled out that day that we would find healing and forgiveness of sin. Maybe the response today is to come forward and join one of our prayer teams here and make a request to God and have us intercede with you and on your behalf. We have prayer teams available. Maybe you want to respond to God in salvation. Our teams can lead you through that as well. Or maybe, if like me, you missed a couple of the Paul versus Princess, your next step could be to get a Bible reading plan from the back on the way out. I don't know, whatever that looks like for you today. Let's choose every single one of us to respond to God's great gift, to God's great light, and his great life that he so generously poured out to us. And so I invite you in this moment, if you're able to stand with us, and if you're a part of a prayer team or you are a prayer team member, why don't you come start to make your way down to the front as well, and let me lead us in a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this moment that you are here inhabiting the praises and the prayer and even the presence of your people. And we're grateful that you are already here at work in the hearts of all of us here today. And I pray in this moment as we reflect and respond to all that you are and all that you've done for us, God, we approach you with joy and humility and expectation. And I thank you, Lord, that you continue to do your beautiful work of transformation across this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together.